Thank you, Father, that we are delivered. Thank you, Father, that we are redeemed. Thank you, Father, that you did not leave us to our own devices. You didn't leave us to our own abilities to save ourselves, to do right. Father, you sent your perfect son, the Lamb of God, the perfect one, to, to die and be accepted and have his death be accepted on our behalf so we are, on our behalf so we are set free so we are delivered not by our own righteousness not by our own deeds not by our own anything but by the work of your son and we are so grateful that he came and taught us how to live and taught us how to love he said love one another as i have loved you and died on our behalf and gave his life for us for us and showed his love for us, that while we were sinners, he died for us. He died for us while we were sinners. So, Father, we just thank you for Yeshua and for his redeeming work and for setting us free. For coming into our Egypt and taking us to the promised land. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. The scripture John wrote in his letters, whoever says he, he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Yeshua is our redeemer. He's our Lord. He's our deliverer. He's our life giver, way maker. And he's also our perfect example of how to walk. And as he walked, so should we walk. And we never quite get there, but we have this amazing witness in Scripture of how we are to live our lives and how we are to walk. And he is that example. He is who we aim towards. It says, if we abide in him, we ought to walk in the same way which he walked. Romans 8 says, for those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. We're being conformed into his image. As he is, so are we in this world. It says we're being conformed in this image. As he loved, we are to love. As he walked, we are to walk. He is our example in all things. There's one area that Yeshua walked that also teaches us how to walk in that way. Because he walked down a path that's a challenging one. And we all have challenges in our lives, difficult things in our lives. Difficult experiences, difficult relationships. And we can look to Yeshua, how he walked through that. We can be like Yeshua in how he dealt with being wounded we're supposed to be as Yeshua in all things in all ways one expression I love from the church is WWJD we can repurpose that WWYD if we want what would Yeshua do what would Jesus do and I love that because it's always a good mindset to put on all of our situations and all of our experiences like what would he do or what is he doing now what is he doing now? What is he doing now? What is the Spirit of God doing right now 
in this situation so we can always walk as he walked. Well, one thing that we all deal with in life is being hurt by others. And Yeshua was hurt by others. And we can learn a lot from his experience and what the scripture says about when we're wounded, when we're hurt, when others disappoint us. So we're going to go there. We're going to go down a road, a, a road of scripture of how we can be like him who was wounded for our transgressions when we're wounded as well by others. The prophet Zechariah said in chapter 13, in prophesying about Yeshua, he said, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds between your hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. The Hebrew word for friends in this scripture is ahavai. Any Hebrew scholars know the root of that word? Ahavai, what does it sound like? Love. It is. The root is the same word as love. So really what this is saying in its root is those which I was wounded in the house of those who loved me. It's the ones that are closest to us that can wound us the most. I can go on Twitter and get torn apart by strangers for something I post or some comment that I make. <laughs> Twitter's sort of my place to go where nobody's watching until I found out there were people watching. And there's this one person who just stalks me on Twitter, somebody that used to come here who was extremely disappointed in me. And just eviscerates me on Twitter all the time, everything I post. It doesn't hurt when the strangers do it. But it stings when, when your friends do it. When those who maybe you've worshipped with do it. The ones who are in your family. Abuse can come in many ways. It could be physical. God willing not. It could be sexual. God willing not. It could be verbal. God willing not. But it's the ones that are closest to us that can hurt us the most. And how we react to that. And how we walk in that. Is one way that we can be like Yeshua. Because he was despised and rejected. And I believe that one of the reasons he was despised and rejected, not only, how many people know that God can accomplish so many things by doing one thing? He's this amazing multitasker. Like if, you, if something happens in your life and it accomplishes like 10 things with just one thing, that's God. Because he does that. And his wounds and his being rejected of course, led, led to our salvation, led to him being slaughtered like a, like a lamb, a perfect lamb, and it led to our salvation. But in that, I believe that he was rejected so he can have compassion on us when we're rejected and then when we're despised. And we could look to him for encouragement and we look to him for, for healing because he was despised. 
if we are despised. Scripture actually doesn't say you might be despised or hated in this world. It actually says that you will be despised. You will be hated. It actually says that if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. So it's like you're going to be hated. It says in this world, you will, I don't have it. In this world, you will have persecution. You'll have tribulation. You will have it. You will have it. So scripture actually tells us to expect Expect persecution. Don't be surprised when it comes. Expect it. It says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And they did persecute him. So you will be persecuted. Expect it. But he teaches us when we're persecuted to count it as joy. To count it as a blessing. And this is really hard. Because it don't feel like no blessing. When we're being persecuted. But he says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. There was this mindset that we don't have in America that they absolutely had walking with Yeshua and the years after that, that persecution is actually spiritually good. We see in, in Acts, it says that they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing they've been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Like when they received persecution, as hard as it was, they knew there was blessing in it. But what they're talking about, this type of persecution in his name, is the persecution that we may get because of our beliefs. Because when we hold true to our faith and our belief in Yeshua, there will be those in the world that despise us for it. It's that type of persecution that this is talking about. It's when we defend our faith. It's persecuting us because of who we believe in. That's what these scriptures talk about. We say, blessed are you persecuted when you're persecuted for my name or when you, when you suffer shame for my name. It's when we defend our faith and people persecute us because of that. That's when there is blessing. And the disciples really knew that. And it's hard for us to really absorb that because being persecuted or being hated is no fun. And it still hurts. I mean, if we can just be real, being hurt hurts. Especially in those who you love. You can get hurt anywhere. You can get hurt in a congregation. You can get hurt by a pastor or a rabbi. Rabbis and pastors can get hurt from the congregants. It happens as well. And if I can be real, there are most certainly still feelings of hurt within me for certain times, you know, where people left here in a quote-unquote bad way. I still feel some pain. Hurt hurts. Hurt hurts. But this type where it's a blessing is when we're persecuted for our faith. But there's other types of hurts when, just, when people that we love treat us poorly, when people that we love 
say things that really leave a wound within us. And how we respond to that is something that we can learn from in the scripture. And we're going to go there. So how we respond when we're wounded. We can either respond in an ungodly way or we can respond in a godly way. To when we're hurt. To when we're wounded. So one of the ungodly ways that we can respond to hurt is believing that lie. Is believing what's been spoken over you. That's not true. We tend to absorb these things. When somebody speaks, and let me tell you something, Satan is very crafty. Satan knows your insecurities. And sometimes he will use somebody to speak something that you're kind of struggling with already. So he can say in your ear, you see, you see, you see, all these ways that you think about yourself is right. See, somebody else thinks that way as well. This is what Satan will do. It's, it happens to me. It happens to me a lot. Believing the lie is one ungodly way of responding to the hurt that we receive from others. And Galatians 5, Paul writes, this persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. And that's always encouraging to remember when somebody speaks something over you that is not true and you're tending to believe it, remember, this did not come from him who called you. This did not come from him who called you. It's not in line with how he sees you. It's not in line with how he, what he's called you to. It might be in line with how you feel about yourself, but in what planet is how you feel about yourself in line with how he feels about you? Very often they are misaligned. And sometimes people will just rub into that place that you feel about yourself that's not aligned with God. Remember it is not aligned with God. Remember that. Paul writes in Galatians 1, he says, am I seeking the favor of people? You know, worrying so much about what people think of you is a real vice. It's a real vice. And that is another ungodly way of responding to when people hurt you is when we care too much about what people think. And Paul had a lot of persecution from his Jewish brothers. And he's like, am I looking to please people? Am I doing this for people? If I'm doing this for people, I wouldn't be a bondservant of the Messiah. Another way that we would respond in an ungodly way to hurt is to retaliate. Now, how many folks want to give a little zinger when somebody gives you a little zinger themselves? How many people can think of a really good one about 10 minutes after this situation is gone? And you're like, oh, if I only thought of that then. I got a good one now. It always comes later, those good comebacks. Why don't they come at the time? They always come later. I have learned myself, and I really feel this way about my walk with God, is that if I am offend, if I'm offended, offended, if somebody offends me or insults me or hates me, if I want to defend myself, it's not from God. And I believe that fully, even though everything within me wants to. <laughs> That's right, where the sun don't shine. Every bit. Look, listen, when I, this, this, this person who's on Twitter who's like, really like. 
I am the worst human being in the history. I mean, I got a couple of good zingers back in my head, but I don't do it. I don't do it because I don't want to react in that way because deeper than my reaction, I know that when I feel like I need to react that way, it's not from God. Yeshua, our example, was silent before his shearers. I will defend others. But I won't defend myself. Not from those types of attacks. I'm not going to engage in that. And that's in line with the scriptures. Paul writes, never repay evil for evil. Never. Key word. Never. Repay. Evil for evil. Respect what is right in the sight of all people. Do you understand what he's saying? He's like, people are watching this. In the sight of all people. Don't do it. Remember, we're a witness of the Messiah. That's more important than that perfect comeback. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, which means that if there really is something to correct, leave it for God to do. If there is something to correct, leave it for God to do. You know what? Sometimes we're not even looking at the situation right. There's nothing even for God to correct. Sometimes people hurt us and they don't even mean to hurt us. But leave it. Leave it to God. I think an unhealthy, ungodly reaction to being hurt is that self-defense retaliation. And when we're feeling that within us, it's not from God. I'm not talking about defending your house from a burglar. I'm not talking about defending your wife. You come after my wife, you know it. You know what's happening. I'll tear this place apart. But self-defense, not for me. I don't believe it's from the Lord. And I think I have the scripture to prove it. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. You know, there was somebody in my house once who really hates Messianic Judaism and hates my beliefs. And this person was in my house and we were talking about Rabbi Peter, my rabbi. And this person was like, he is just not a real rabbi. You know, this Messianic rabbi thing is fake. He's not a rabbi. I'm not even going to call him Rabbi Peter. You can call him Rabbi Peter all you want. I'm, not even, I'm never going to call him Rabbi Peter. He's not a rabbi. As this person said that, falls down the stairs. I'm never going to call him Rabbi Peter. <laughs> there was a part of me that was rejoicing when my enemy fell. But don't. Don't rejoice when your enemy falls. It's not of the Lord. Ungodly response number three, hold a grudge. These are things that can kind of kill you internally. We hold on to these things even long after the person has gone away and is not even thinking about it anymore. Leviticus 19 says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Don't bear a grudge. It's just going to eat you away. Now there's some godly responses. And this is not exhaustive. We can, we can go here forever and ever. There's so many other maybe ungodly or unscriptural or unholy ways that we can react to being hurt. 
So these are just, I'm really just skimming the surface, I know. But here are some godly ways to respond when people hurt us. Pray for the offender. How often do we do that? How often do we take time in our prayer life, in a moment, for the person that wounded us to just lift up the prayer for that person? And just pray, because there's power in prayer. Change happens in spirit more than in the natural, far more. Activate it in spirit. Pray for those who persecute you. I will caveat this. I'll just say a little anecdote. There was one time, one time, there was a situation I was dealing with with a person where I actually told the person not to pray for the offender because there was an abusive relationship situation that was happening, and the one person could not break free from the abuser. There was a soul tie. You know what like a soul tie is? It's like a, a connection that's just deeper than physical. It's deeper than the natural. It's deeper than flesh. It's something inside. You just can't pull yourself away. But this person was abusive, and this person once said, I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to separate. I'm just going to pray for this person. And my advice to this person was don't even pray. Don't even pray. Because when you're praying, you're, you're, you're feeding the soul tie. You're feeding the soul tie. It was challenging advice. But I do believe the Lord was in it. That in that unique case, when there's a, just really need to be a full, full break, when there's abuse, don't perpetuate the soul tie. But outside of that, that's a corner case. Outside of that, praying for those who persecute you. What power is there in that to actually be praying for the one who hurts you? Is power in that? That is a godly response to being hurt. Godly response number two, to bless the offender. It also says in scripture to do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you. That's different from praying for those who persecute you. We're talking bless, being a blessing to them. That may come. There may be a time coming where the person who, who wounded you and the Spirit of the Lord tells you to go bless that person in some way, whether it's a nice word, whether it's something physical or tangible, or whether it's a gift or whatever, it, a ride, whatever it is, there might be a time when that is before you, and that is powerful. It says it will reap burning coals on their head in another place when we do that. So that is a godly way to respond to being hurt when the Lord provides an opportunity to actually bless, to actually bless those who persecute. I actually reached out recently to somebody who left here, I guess in a bad way, somebody else who left here in a bad way. I reached out to that person. It wasn't really received very well, but I tried. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. That's the godly way to respond to being hurt. Godly response number three, to forgive. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. This is an interesting scripture because our forgiveness is dependent upon something, isn't it? In this scripture, what is it dependent upon? His repentance or her repentance. 
It's like the person hurts you. You go to, to the person. The person says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, I forgive you. But are we supposed to forgive people who aren't looking for forgiveness? And what does forgiveness even look like? Because we could do it by rote. Perfunctory. That's a vocabulary word. Kind of means by rote. We can just do it by rote. I forgive them. But we still have a, like a ping in our gut when we think of the person who hurt us. So are we really, at that point, truly forgiving them? There are people that hurt me that I still feel a little wound. Is my forgiveness fully full? I'm not so sure. But we're supposed to forgive them. But are we supposed to forgive them if they don't repent, if they're not even looking for repentance? Yes, I believe so. The Peter came up and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? And Yeshua said, I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. And this came out in our Daniel study a couple of weeks ago. 70 times seven, where else do we see that term? That was in the book of Daniel when the angel came and gave the prophecy that 70 sevens are proclaimed until what? It lists a bunch of things, but essentially it's until the coming of their second coming of the Messiah and the end of the age, right? Those are the 77s of Daniel. It's until the end. So when Yeshua, this is a rabbinical thing to do. When Yeshua says 70 times 7, forgive them, he's not saying 490 times. He's linking back, he's hinting back to Daniel. He's saying you forgive until the end of time. That's what he's saying. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. So did he die for us after we repented or before? Before. He died for us while we were still sinning, while we still hated him. That's the example. I believe we are to forgive even before they're looking for forgiveness. And isn't there healing in us when we can forgive the hurt? Bearing with one another, and if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So that's the way to respond to hurt, to forgive. But it's a process. It's a process. Godly response number four, no God has a purpose for this. You know, one of the, our favorite, everybody's favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Joseph. And we see this amazing thing at the end of the story of Joseph when Joseph realized that all the hell, sorry, he went through with his brothers, with being sold to slavery, with going to Egypt, with going to jail. All these things that he went through was for a purpose. And we can hold on to that, that God has a purpose even for what you're going through. And even that he could use for good. Joseph had the blessing of seeing it happen. We're sometimes in a place where we haven't yet seen it happen. We're waiting for it. But we can believe in faith that God, if God allowed it, it's for a purpose. Because believe me, he allowed it. If it happened, it wasn't out from under his direction or from his authority and his dominion. If he allowed it, it's for a purpose. There's a scripture in Luke, Simon signs Yeshua talking, Behold, Satan has demanded to sift you men like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail, and you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. 
So what do we learn from this? Satan went up to God and wants to sift Peter and the disciples like wheat. So we learned that Satan can't do anything without God giving him approval, number one. Number two, I pray that your faith won't fail, and then when you turn back, strengthen your brother. So why did this happen to Peter? Why did God allow this to happen to Peter? So when he gets through it and he's on the other side of it, he can encourage and strengthen his brothers. And maybe that's why you've gone through it as well, when somebody hurts you. Because at the end of this, you can strengthen somebody else from your experience. And God allows it for that. There's parts of this story that are so greater than you, greater than what you're dealing with, greater than your own myopic life. There's something he wants to do for others, and he wants to do it through you, and you can use that experience to do it. And godly response number five is reconciliation. Now, reconciliation's a tough one. Reconciliation, in my mind, is not a one thing and done. Now, reconciliation is something that's deep in the heart of God. How good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. But there might be some folks that you ain't supposed to reconcile with just yet. Because reconciliation is a two-way street. Reconciliation is a two-way street. And I believe when it comes to reconciling with those who hurt you, there is a spectrum to follow from complete and utter separation with the person that hurt you to a full reconciliation with the person that hurt you. And there's biblical proof for all of it and everything in the middle. And we need to be wise about how we proceed down this path. Because if somebody's abusing you, and if there's, abu if there's abuse, you don't need to go pursuing, put yourself in harm's way in that way. Don't need to when there's abuse. So full, se full separation. You know, there's scripture about it. I wrote to you not to associate with so any so-called brother if he is a sexually immoral person or a greedy person or an idolater or is verbally abusive. Did anybody separate from anybody else ever because they've been verbally abusive to you? There's a little scriptural backup that you have for that. Or habitually drunk or a swindler, not even to eat with such a person. Another one, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once or th and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. There is a scriptural basis for cutting off ties with somebody if there is a, an unhealthy and unholy situation there. There is a scriptural uh, basis for cutting off that tie. Reconciliation is always in the heart of God. It may not be right now. Timing is everything. Timing is everything. I think the next step up in the, in the process of reconciliation is having a relationship but with boundaries. I can assure you there are people in my life that I have a relationship with, but there's boundaries. I can assure you that there are hurtful people that I, am in, that I am in relationship with, but I won't let them get so close. they got to stay at a certain distance because it's unhealthy to get too close because they're not there yet. And I'm not there yet. And there's, I believe there's some scripture around that too. In Galatians when he said, if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you restore the person in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so you are not tempted as well. In other words, guard yourself. Guard yourself. Guard yourself. Guard yourself. 
It's okay to have a relationship, but it not be fully reconciled. It's okay to have relationship with some distance. There's a proverb, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. So you have a relationship with a guy, you can go into his house, just not so much. Boundaries. Boundaries. The next step in full reconciliation is just taking those steps towards reconciliation because we know that God's heart really ultimately is for reconciliation, but it's got to be a two-way street. And Matthew, you know, it's very famous in the Beatitudes. Leave your offering there before the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother and come and present your offering. It just shows how important reconciliation is to God when he says, if you're going to bring your offering, don't even bring it. Just go and try to make peace with your brother. And then come and bring your offering. We had this one time here in service about 10 years ago or 15 years ago when Rabbi Peter actually had people go and take their offering out of the box after the offering was taken if they had something against their brother. And then just come back and give it again later even if it's in five years. So reconciliation is in the heart of God. And it says that if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people couple of key words, if possible. It may not be possible with certain people right now. As far as it depends on you, you can do your part, but it takes two to make a thing go right. Yeah? Wow. Are you kidding? You can be reconciled, but not really walking together. I love the story of, jo of Jacob and Esau. When we know the story, Jacob thought that Esau was going to kill him, but then Esau just cried on him and loved on him. And there was reconciliation between Jacob and Esau. But after their reconciliation, after they just hugged each other and got together and met the family and all that kind of stuff, they went their separate ways. They didn't walk together. They went their separate ways. That's another step towards reconciliation. You reconcile. The reconcile is, is whole but you're not walking together. I think a good example of this is a divorced couple that went through real, really challenging times and hated each other, but got to a point when they can successfully co-parent together. That's reconciliation, but not walking together. And then of course, finally, it's full reconciliation. And the scripture I have here is how he reconciled Jew and Gentile together. If there's any epitome of non-reconciliation or two people groups that didn't want anything to do with each other, it's the Jews and the Gentiles at that time. But Yeshua broke down that middle wall of partition, and he brought the two together as one, as one. That's full reconciliation when the two are brought together as one. And he can get to that place, and you can get to that place. But remember, it's a journey, it's a spectrum, it's not, you don't need to pursue it right from the beginning. Let the Lord guide you through that journey of reconciliation if it is meant to be that way. So Father, I just pray over everyone here who has experienced hurt, experienced a wound, as it says in Zechariah. Where did you receive those wounds? From the hands, in the house, those who love me, of my friends, the house of those who love me. Father, I pray as they seek you, everyone here that seeks you for healing of these wounds, Father, 
Father, I pray that you just bring them through this journey, Lord God. I pray that you would enable them and quicken them to, to deal with the hurt in the biblical ways, in the godly ways, in the whole, holy ways, in the healthy ways, and not in the unhealthy ways of, of seeking retaliation, and not in the unhealthy ways, Lord God, of, of, of self-hate and absorbing the lie that was spoken to them and, and holding grudges and all these things, Lord God. I just pray that you wash everyone here clean with the, the, when they've dealt with that type of hurt and guide them on that journey, Lord God, towards dealing with it in a healthy way, of praying for them, of, of blessing if they have the opportunity, of seeking peace and seeking reconciliation over that journey, Lord God, if it is your will, if it is meant to be at this time. But most important, Lord God, I pray for the hearts here who have dealt with pain, who have dealt with injury from the words, the harsh words of other people. Lord God, I pray that you wash them clean in the name of Yeshua. Father, I lift this up to you, Lord God, in the name of Yeshua. Thank you, Father. Amen and amen. Thank you, Father. Thank